Good morning. Come on in. Welcome. It's good to be back with you all. We miss you every time we're away. We're grateful for time away, but we still miss being able to see you. Uh, I, I have a couple of assumptions as I start this morning. First of all, my understanding is this is a bye week for the Bills. Is that right? Is that right? Okay. That, that's my first point. My second point is this will be my last sermon to you officially as senior pastor of this church. So with that in mind, I figure I can take as much time as I want. Uh, I am grateful for the opportunity. I don't know about you, but I have felt like the messages the last few weeks have been phenomenal, anointed of God, and such a hunger built within our hearts for the movement of his spirit. I don't know about you, but as I read the New Testament, and this has nothing to do with what I'm going to preach on, which is why I said I can take my time. Um, as I read the New Testament, and especially the Gospels, I see a ragtag group of people who are immature, they're afraid, they're competitive, they're always trying to one-up one another, uh, they, they are cursors. All of that goes on, but that same group of men, the Scripture says, turned the world upside down. And the only way they did that was because the Holy Spirit came. We desperately... What would happen, I wonder, if we came on a Sunday and every one of us came with the same passion, the same heart, the same mind and said, without you, we can't go on. We can't make it. And so there's just this hunger that has built within our hearts. So I'm so grateful. Although we weren't here, we were certainly joining with you online uh, down in Myrtle Beach um, it was a good time away, but it's also really good to be back with you. Would you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4? Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible, maybe it's your phone app or something like that. <clears throat> I know it's going to be up on the screen, but it's always good that once in a while you actually open your Bible. Uh, I know it's an odd thought these days, but... Uh, your Bible is still the most powerful tool you have in your arsenal. It says Jesus, when confronted with the enemy, defeated him by quoting back to him the word of God. The word of God stands true. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one word that he has ever spoken will pass away. So it's good to every once in a while open your Bibles and just follow along. In this section that we're going to read this morning in Ephesians 4, Paul speaks about a unity that is provided to us by the Spirit. And I want you to catch this. That unity is a work of the Holy Spirit. But Paul makes it clear that it's up to us to maintain that unity. We have a responsibility in it. It's not enough that God gives us something. He's asking us to actually use it, to actually make it available to all around us. So we're reading in Ephesians 4. Let's look at verse 3, if you would follow along with me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. In this passage, Paul, especially in verse 4, 
refers primarily to the ministry of the Spirit in this matter of unity. And then in verse 6, he refers to that which is the Father's responsibility. But in verse 5, which is where I kind of want to hone in on today, he kind of takes all of that, the work of the Spirit, the work of the Father, and he brings it back to a foundational, a central point, the work of the Son himself. And he says of the Son, He is one Lord. As I thought uh, over the last several weeks about this particular time that I would have with you, knowing it would be my last time speaking officially, uh, I'm not saying, by the way, that there won't be times in the future that I might speak if I am invited, but uh, in terms of officially as senior pastor, this is it. And as I thought about it, I thought, okay, what message would I want to speak to you that I believe follows within the line of our sharing on Ephesians, but also a good word for all of us. So I felt to share this. Um, if you're like me, maybe as you read through the scriptures, you tend to take note of when God repeats himself. Uh, God often repeats himself, and it's not because he's senile and he can't remember what he's already said. If he repeats himself, it's for a reason. And in this particular book, in the book of Ephesians, God takes one little word, the word in, I-N, and he repeats that word over a hundred times in this book. He'll say things like, you're in the beloved, in heavenly places, grounded in love, and so many more where he talks about we are in. And I said to you at the beginning of our study in Ephesians that the first three chapters is separate from the second three chapters. The first three chapters talks about me in him. And he wants to make sure we know our place of position, our identity in Christ. But the second three chapters, he deals with him and me. How God actually works through me. And so in the second three chapters, over 60 times, Paul uses terms like in him, in Christ, in Christ Jesus. We who were once afar off, we who were rejects, not accepted, not wanted to be part of the team, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We are his body. But if we are his body, it is appropriate that we ask ourselves, if we are the body, who is the head? And actually, Paul deals with that back in chapter 1. In chapter 1, Paul says in verse 22, he put all things under his feet, speaking about Jesus, and gave him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. So he is the head. But here in verse 5, Paul actually emphasizes that this head is the Lord. Now, why would Paul emphasize that? Why would Paul emphasize the lordship of Jesus Christ? Well, let me say first and foremost that I believe that Paul is here saying first and foremost, he is the one and the only one who is the Lord. He is the one and the only Lord. In John chapter 6, when the crowds were offended with Jesus, remember, there came a point in time where Jesus said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And the scripture says, the crowds, the people, even some of those who were followers, began to leave him. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, are you two going to leave me? Remember what Jesus said? Or what, do you remember what uh, the apostles said? The apostles said, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. So here Paul is emphasizing, he is not only the Lord, he is the only 
Lord. There has never been anyone like him, and there never will be anyone like him ever again. He is the only one who has lived his life as God and man in the flesh. He showed us what God is like. In John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 1, the writer says this, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. God in the past told us through the prophets what he is like. But verse 2, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person. What does it mean? It means practically that he is unique. He is the one and the only Lord. What it really means for us practically is this, and if you take notes, this is the, my key for today. There is no Christianity. There is no Christian faith without Christ the Lord. You can't say you're a Christian otherwise. And yet, think about people around you. I, go, I walk around town. Don't, don't you guys talk to some people downtown? I have people who will sit with me at Bud's and say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I'm thinking, you can't have Christianity without Christ, the one and only Lord. It's an impossibility. It's like a disconnect. People think that if I am a good person, if I'm a nice person, if I give and I help, all of that means is that I'm a Christian because they have equated Christianity to a moral code. But Christianity is not a moral code. It is Christ the Lord and our relationship with Him. The world says, well, my opinion is as valid as yours, but i got to tell you, Christianity is not a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of ideas or philosophies. It is Christ the Lord. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but there is a certain level of intolerance in our Christian faith. You see, Jesus tends to believe that he's God. And because he's God, he's right. And he's not out polling you to get your opinion on anything. He's not doing like a lot of people do in the world. You know how in this day in which we're looking at an election coming up soon, people take polls to see where are the crowds at? What do people really want? What do people think? Well, God is not taking polls to see what you want so that he can try to get ahead of you and to say that he's then the leader. He believes he's God and that he is right. People want to add in other ideas and other wisdom to it. They're kind of like the Baha'i religion. I don't know if you've ever studied the Baha'i religion. When I was at Elam, we had a guy start showing up in our dorm and start talking to us. Well, he was a Baha'i. Well, the Baha'is have taken all of these different religions and meshed them all together, thrown away the parts they don't like and kept the parts they like. So as far as you're concerned, Jesus is a good teacher. But so was Muhammad. So was Buddha. So was Baha'u'llah. All of these were great teachers, and we can learn from them all, and that's their faith. Well, Christianity is different than that. Christianity says there's only one way, and his name is Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one name, and his name is Jesus Christ the Lord. Paul says in Colossians 2, 9, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all 
principality, and power. Colossians 2.3 In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In fact, Christianity is so intolerant that Paul says this in Galatians chapter 1. Even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. There is an intolerance in God that says, I am God, and I know what is right, and I'm going to hold you to that. So everything in our faith centers in the person of Christ. He's unique in that he's the only Lord. But the second thing I want you to get, the distinction that Paul makes, is because he's one, he cannot be divided. <clears throat> in other words, you either believe in and submit to him, or you don't. Let me say that again. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, here's what you have to grapple with. You either believe in Him and submit fully to Him, or you don't and you're not. <clears throat> there are those who say, I like the idea of being a Christian, I like the idea of being a good person, but I don't believe, and then they will enumerate all the kinds of things that are written down in the Word of God. Well, I don't believe that He's the only one. I mean, Surely, I mean, I know some really good people out in the world. They, they're not Christians, but they're good. So you can't tell me they're going to hell. He cannot be divided. You can't do what we used to say. We used to say, you know, well, go ahead and eat it and spit out the bones. Well, you can't spit out the bones on Christ. You either take all of Him or you take none of Him. He cannot be divided. He is Christianity. You either accept Him totally or you don't accept him at all. There's no in-between. There's no middle ground. He's not only unique in his person, he's unique in his authority in relationship to you. He is the only one who is the Lord. And he is, if he is your Lord, you are submitted fully to him and to all that he says. There's no one else who has done for us what he has done for us. Paul says to the Ephesian elders, as he's getting ready to leave Ephesus, and he would never see them again, he says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock of God, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He is the one and the only Lord who has purchased us, and therefore it's right to say that he owns us. He owns me, lock, stock, and barrel. I'm all his. I didn't used to be, but he came. And he rescued me. He saved me. He paid the price for me with his own blood. And I am all his. For now and forever. See, lordship is about ownership. Who owns you? There was a time when we were owned by sin and by death. But he came and he purchased us with his blood. And he now owns us. Throughout his writings, including here in Ephesians, Paul is constantly drawing our attention to two specific facets 
of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And remember, to appreciate one doesn't mean you have to somehow decrease the other. But both are crucial. What, what do I mean? I mean, a lot of people want a Savior, and, and Jesus is that. But He can never truly be Savior if He's not first and foremost Lord. The Scripture says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Back in the 1970s, some of you guys might remember those days, you're old enough. Back in the 1970s, there was a teaching that went around the church, and it went something like this. We must first accept Jesus as Savior, and then over time we can decide whether we want to make Him Lord. And I want to say to you, number one, I want to say to you, there is something in there that is kind of on the edge okay, but there's a whole lot in there that's not okay. Is it true that throughout our lives, as we walk with Jesus, there's more and more areas of our life we realize we have to submit to Him? Absolutely. Is it not true that as you've walked with God, you have found that there are times when all of a sudden God will confront you with something in your life that maybe a month ago or a year ago you never even gave a thought to, but now God's putting His hand upon it. So there is a growth in our understanding and our embracing of His Lordship. But it's wrong to think that you don't first Start with an acknowledgement and a submission to His Lordship totally. To say, you are the Lord. You own me, you're in charge of me. Whatever you says goes. Now, He will take time. Thankfully, He doesn't do it all at once, or else I think we would be overwhelmed. But over time, He does come. And He exerts that Lordship that we have acknowledged and attested to. We have proclaimed in our own lives. Some people don't want lordship. They don't want someone telling them what to do. Which is why Paul emphasizes here that Christ is the Lord. He's in charge, and ultimately he's in control. John 13, 13, Jesus said, You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. See, the first facet of the lordship of Christ is he is the master. He's the commander-in-chief. He's the one that's in charge. We're no longer our own masters. We no longer can believe what we like. We have no right to do what we like. We're not our own. Jesus himself addresses this in Luke 6. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? You see, lordship has to do with ownership and who's in charge. Who has the right to tell you what to do? It's about obedience. It's about submission. It's about putting our lives in his hands and saying, I don't want to stay this way. I want to become more and more like you. Lordship, Jesus went on to say in chapter 7 of Matthew, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Paul says he's one Lord. And what that means is, you have to consider, is he the master of your life? Now take a moment and think about it. Is he in charge of your life? Does he get to choose how you act? How about how you think? How about your feelings? How about the decisions that you make? Who is in charge of your life? Do you give consideration to him as you make decisions, as you think about what you're going to do, where you're going to go, what you're reading, what you're watching, what you're listening to? Is he the Lord, the master of your life? And again, he's not asking your permission for this because he is the Lord. What he wants to challenge is, is he your Lord? Is he your Lord? 
in your life. He is the leader, the forerunner, the commander-in-chief, and we need to come under his authority if we have any right to say that we're Christians at all. In every Christian's life, I guarantee there will come a time when you will be confronted with lordship. Is he your lord? Does he have a right to come and to tell you what to do and how to do it? How to say that? You know, as we grow in God, hopefully we don't stay the same. Uh, There comes a point where we say to God, God, I don't want to stay this way anymore. I want to change. And I hope you never get to be too old that you don't want to change. You don't want to grow up. But that's what lordship is about. Lordship is about him having the authority to actually determine the course of our lives. And sometimes, by the way, our lives doesn't go the way we would have chosen. We would have picked different things. We would have made different decisions. We would have gone a different route. But because he's the Lord, he has the right to determine that for us. Your salvation was never about just getting you out of hell. It was about getting hell out of you. It was about you changing and becoming conformed to his image, becoming more and more like Jesus, to get the lies that you have raised with out of your mind and to begin to believe the truth that he has spoken. His, in, his saving grace is intended to change you. And if you're a Christian and you have stayed the same, then I question whether you have exerted the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life at all. Because if you have, you will change. You'll be confronted with that lordship. I've heard people say things like, if Jesus comes back and you have a cigarette in your mouth, you're not going to heaven, you're going to hell. I had somebody say that to my dad once, years ago. It was a group that had come in from uh, another organization, I won't say what it is, and they were speaking, and I can remember them saying something along that lines. Well, if when you die you got a cigarette in your mouth, don't expect to go up. Well, i got to tell you, you and I both know that's just not true. Because your salvation is not determined upon your performance, it's determined on His. But there should come a point where his lordship begins to affect your life. You don't stay the same. You begin to change. Everything comes under his lordship. The second facet, and I have gone too long already, I'm sorry. The second facet that has gone on is he is the lover of our soul. He is the commander, and he's the lover of our soul. You see, One of the dangers, and some people really are like this, and I know I have been like this many times in my life, and I've said, God, I don't want to stay the same. I want to change. It's easy to be a rule maker and a rule follower, a rule keeper, and then we begin to impose that upon others. But when you're like that, and you begin to impose that upon others, but there's no love, it can hurt. But what I have discovered is that when there's love in the heart, and it comes out in the voice and in the demeanor, then even that which is critical, even though it hurts, we know it's for our good. When love drives authority, it has a softer healing edge to it. We've looked at the scripture already, but let me read just one verse farther. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Here, Jesus tells them that they're right to call him Lord. And that demands that they follow his example, as every disciple would their rabbi. Follow his example. But what went just before was he knelt down and he washed their feet. That's the example he tells them to follow. Are you recognizing the love that God has for you, that so much so that he paid with his own life for you? 
Most of my life, I have believed a lie. For too much of my life, I believe that God, because he's love, has to love me. He has no choice. But he doesn't really like me. He wishes he could undo the deal that he signed in his blood. But he can't because it's already been signed in blood. But what are you going to do? It's taken me years to realize God actually chose me because he wanted to choose me, knowing everything there is to know about me. Knowing what a jerk I am sometimes, he still chose me. Knowing how I would fail. I would not only fail, I would fall and I would sin. And he still chose me. Because he loves me. He's not only our commander, he's also the lover of our soul. You see, authority without love and compassion is oppressive. It's slavery. But in the same way, love without teeth, love without discipline ends in compromise and lawlessness. Where, like it says in the book of Judges, everyone does that which seems right in their own eyes. And I hear that a lot in the church. I hear it a lot here. Well, yeah, that's fine for you, but it's not for me. Well, there comes a point where the lordship of Jesus Christ begins to extend to us. It says it's no longer about your opinion. It's about what he's calling you to. Everyone does what seems right. I, I was thinking this week, as I was preparing, drawing to a close. Um, I was thinking this week that in many ways, I feel like we're as a church, like a big grandfather clock. And in this grandfather clock, I saw this like metal bar hanging down with this big round disc at the bottom. Have you ever seen something like that? And this thing's going back and forth. And I felt like God was saying to me, we swing from one extreme to another. We're all about rules and regulations or we're all about love. We're going to be mean and tell people to toe the line or we're going to have sloppy agape over here where everybody does whatever and say, well, God understands. God knows what I'm like and He's okay with it. God loves me anyways. And we don't realize lordship is not that. We're over here reeking of law and legalism, condemnation, or over here saying, well, do whatever makes you feel happy. I've had people come to me in their marriage relationship and say, I, I can't stay in this relationship anymore. Because, I mean, God doesn't want me to be this happy, does he? Well, I, I think his word actually has already addressed it. And maybe if you actually deal with his lordship, you will discover that it's not the marriage issue that's making you unhappy. Maybe there's something inside of you God would actually like to get at that would change, and you would find your relationship would change. His, his grace empowers us to walk in holiness. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all people in holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Jesus will never be less than master and never be less than lover. He is both of those things totally because all grace and truth is bound up in him. And what we're talking about is allowing him to come and to change our lives forever. We've talked this morning about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Well, the truth is the Holy Spirit coming, dwelling within us is what changes us. It's not a magic fix. It doesn't happen overnight, but he comes and he changes us from the inside out. And this isn't a matter of getting saved. That's already settled with the work of Christ. This is a matter of freedom. He says, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. It's God coming in 
and making you more and more like him. So as I thought about what is the last thing I could say to you, if there was anything else, I would say to you, remember, Jesus is the Lord. Would you stand with me? I had purposed to actually get done earlier. I'm sorry. Uh, I started late. Oh, did I? Okay. Thank you, Andy. There. Would you bow your heads? I don't know if you've ever done this before or not. If you haven't, today would be a great day to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, he, he's come to save you. To save you from your sins, but also to save you from yourself. If we're honest, most times we're our own worst enemies. Our minds lie to us, play tricks with us, our feelings betray us. He's come to save you. But it starts with acknowledging he's the Lord who bought you. He paid the full penalty price for your sins, for your life. Today would be a good day to receive the Lord. And all you have to do is say, Lord God, I want to follow you with the rest of my life. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I give my life to you. If you've never done that before, today would be a good day to do it. Just very simply say, be the Lord of my life. Take charge. Save me. And his word promises that if you've done that, sincerely, from the heart, he will come. He will save you. And the scripture says, all of heaven, all those who have gone before us, all of the angels and God himself rejoices because you've made the decision to recognize his lordship over your life. And we rejoice with you. We celebrate with you God's good, saving grace. If you do that today, I encourage you, come and talk to me or talk to somebody and let them know, I did that today. I asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And maybe you're here and you are a Christian. You prayed the sinner's prayer sometime years ago. My question to you today is, is he your Lord? I'm not asking if you say that because you know it's in the Bible. But do you live your life that way, like he is your Lord? I know he is the Lord. I'm asking, is he your Lord? Does he have the right to intrude on your life? To step on your toes sometimes and say, I want you to look at how you just spoke to your spouse. Did, did you know that he has the right to intrude on your marriage? Not because he wishes you ill, but because he wants you to be who he made you to be. Is he your Lord? Does he have the right to talk to you about how you work at your workplace? How you think about and how you deal with your employer, your supervisor, your manager? He who said, Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not as unto men. Does he have that right to speak into your life? 
Have you found that you've been following others and not the Lord? And when they went a different route, when they failed, all of a sudden you became all depressed and discouraged and upset. And you wonder why your life's not happy. It's because you've forgotten that He's the Lord. I am convinced, the longer I live, that all issues of unhappiness stem from this issue right here. Who's the Lord? Who has the right to determine your life? So, I'm giving you the opportunity right now. You who call yourself believers, followers of Jesus Christ, to acknowledge and attest to the truth, He's the Lord. But don't just do that. Invite His Lordship into your life actively. Say, Lord, I don't want to stay the same. I want you to change me. I want to be a vessel, as was prophesied this morning, full of you that then would overflow on the world around me. Take a moment. Just do that right now. Say, you are the Lord. You're my Lord. Every area of my life is open to you. The TV I watch the books I read, the music I listen to, the way I speak to and relate to people. Every bit of it, it comes unto you, Lord. And I know you can't do it in your own strength because we quickly revert. But by acknowledging and inviting, you've now invited the one who is the Lord to get involved here. He's a part of the equation now. And he's going to take you at your word. He's faithful and he's true. As we sang, he's a promise keeper. He is the Lord. Father, as I look out over these, your people, who have been my people for all these years, it's with the acknowledgement of the joy that every single one of them brings to you. You delight in them. You are the lover of their soul. You chose them. This wasn't a mistake. You pointed them out and said, that one I want to be part of my family. And Lord, we want as a family to not only be carriers of your presence, we want to be disseminators of it through a changed life, changed attitudes, changed spirits. Come and have your way in our lives. Let each one walk under the joy of your Lordship, which is always out for our best. I pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great rest of your day. God bless you.